1: winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score.
0: Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it! Syracuse win! Are you serious? Oh. Five down, one to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's oh! Who's out?
1: What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 54 of the Believe Syracuse podcast. I am here with the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Crawford, to talk about Syracuse's 27-21 loss at Clemson. And Josh, I think if you had went into this game and said to Syracuse fans, you're going to lose a game by six points at Clemson, it's going to be hard fought, you're going to have some pretty good moments, but ultimately it's not going to be enough. Most Syracuse fans would have said, okay, yeah, I'm a little disappointed, but I get it. But the way this went down with losing this game by six points in the fashion that they did up by 11 at halftime, up by 11 going into the fourth quarter, Clemson seemingly unable to do much on offense for large stretches of the game until a couple of dumb penalties or controversial penalties kept drives alive and allowed Clemson to go in and score and start to turn momentum, combined with the offense's inability to score in the second half, ultimately doomed Syracuse from pulling off the upset here. So if you had given them kind of a a high-level scenario of how this went down, entering the game, I think most Syracuse fans would have at least felt good coming out of it. But because of the way it played out, watching it in real time, I think a lot of Syracuse fans are are looking at this with a pit in their stomach, sick to their stomach, that they let an opportunity out of their grasp of taking complete control of the ACC Atlantic.
0: I mean, you know, talking about the article that I wrote about the expectations and, you know, evaluating this issue football program in its entirety, I feel like it's 100% justified, not only with the way that this team has um, marketed itself and looked through the first six weeks, but also... (coughs) You Know, like you said, the way that it was, um, the way that like the way that, that unfolded in no unit way, form or fashion, should you be up 11 points, going to the fourth quarter and losing, you lose a game, Any anyway, any team that signifies a lack of composure, a lack of ability to defend it down a stretch, and you know, unwillingness to truly commit to you know, a common goal. And that's things that we definitely haven't heard about this, we haven't used to describe this extra team all year, but it was, you know. Like I said, the the way that that pit in the stomach of SU fans, I feel like it's completely justified because we saw this team that was built upon um, leadership, sturdiness, consistency, these ideals that prepare a a team that didn't have a lot of four or five stars to the 14th best team in the country. So to see the way that we lost, the lack of, you know, uh, consistency, the lack of maturity, you know, one of your veteran guys making, in my opinion, a lot of really bad decisions. And, you know, kind of just going by the wayside, not going by the wayside, but him in a position to where, I don't know because Coach Bay was able to, but nobody seemed able or willing to do anything. I definitely can understand how, you know, SU fans um, can feel the way they feel. Hell, I'm not even a, a, a local, and watching that fourth quarter was maddeningly frustrating seeing a guy that, you know, you, again, you, we talked about it, you know you're a shooter in basketball. It's something to be said for guys in basketball, any sport, when that first shot doesn't go in, Okay, go into I need to get to the basket, I need to rebound. I need to do something because for whatever reason, my shot is not falling. If your shot is not falling, how quickly can you can pivot and be a contributor to the team?
1: Basketball is back, and bet online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at bet online. and as your continued source for all sports wagering information, bet online features live betting free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts.
0: And that's the thing that we, I mean, me harder than you, have preached about Gary Shredder all year. Dude, you're not the starting running back. We get that you're a dual threat. We get that you're a good guy. But you're not the best offensive player on this team. And especially, you know, after the first half where it seemed like Clemson made a lot of adjustments, they got a lot more pressure in the second half, and then Scrapp, he looked really good in the first half. But once he stalled out it looked very stagnant in the second half, he needed to force the ball to Sean Tucker or make better throws, and he didn't either. So to see that happen with that guy being the main factor of it, that, that pit that you talked about completely justified and understanding.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, for large stretches of that game, Syracuse looked legitimate, like, like a top-ten football team. Um, you know, going and playing at that place with 37 wins in a row, and, um, you know, Syracuse had never won there before. They pretty much control things start to finish, Clemson does in almost every game that they play there. And this was a game where you had them on the roads. And that's despite actually not starting all that fast. Syracuse did move the ball down the field in their first possession, but they ended up uh, turning it over on downs after they couldn't, they had a fourth and three where they had a good play call called, but the ball was deflected at the line of scrimmage on a pass that looked like it was open. I think they were going for uh, Devon Cooper there, but looked like he was open and would have had a chance to make a catch for a first down, but balls deflected. So they turn it over Clemson on their first possession. They just go boom, 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 right Mark down, down the, field, the field, no problem, score, 7 nothing, And after that, you're going, man, Syracuse had an opportunity to score in its first drive, couldn't capitalize. Clemson moved the ball that easily. This looks like it's going to get out of hand fast. And Literally. to Syracuse's credit, they come right back, march down the field, tie the game up, and then on Clemson's next possession, after they start looking like they're going to drive easily, they get inside the 10-yard line, and Syracuse forces a fumble, runs it back for a touchdown. They take a 14-7 lead, and it looked like at that point that Syracuse was, go- was – they had taken all the momentum. And part of the reason that they looked as good as they did for large portions of this game was the performance of the defense, the mob. After that first possession where Clemson marched right down the field and scored up until – You know, kind of early to mid fourth quarter, they controlled the game. Clemson had no answers for Syracuse's defense, despite the fact that Syracuse was missing Garrett Williams in this game. They couldn't throw the ball on Syracuse at all. Syracuse forced four turnovers, two sacks, held him to 157 passing yards. The one issue was that Clemson ran the ball very well, um, racking up well over 200 yards, almost 300 yards. In, in rushing yards against Syracuse in this game. But overall, given the fact that they were on the field for 85 plays, forcing four turnovers, sacking the quarterback twice, knocking the starting quarterback out of the game and holding Clemson to 150 passing yards. You couldn't have really asked for much more from the defense in this game.
0: Nah, they literally beat, they beat the one of the college football playoff contenders, Starting quarterback onto the bench without their arguably top most talented defensive player. The fact that I can say that sentence is wild. Like, you know what I'm saying? They, they talking about the the, uh, the narrative, the way that this game went, Dabo took DJU out. He almost, that, that's, that could have been signified as a waving of the white flag almost. Now, K Cup, K Club Nick had to learn his name, how he took over in the, in the fourth quarter. He, he was a guy that came into the year with high odds because. It wouldn't have been a surprise to anybody if this would uh if he would have had to start two to three games five games earlier because you know we saw all of us saw DJ we all in 2021. 20, so you talked about the the success of the rushing game the success of Clemson's rushing game, and um I mean numbers are numbers I see you, I, you have them right in front of you but that's definitely a, I would see uh you know yeah Will Shibley is one of the best backs in college football but in terms of the second half I think with Cade Kudlin, Cade Clubnick it was a thing to where you know, and, and they, it was smart. They weren't confident a, a true freshman, a guy that came in not prepared. Not to say he he not prepared, but he didn't expect to come in and had to play. You know, you don't you're not gonna throw, have that guy throwing the ball out 15 to 20 uh, times in the second half, especially when you don't have a T Higgins or DeAndre Hopkins for him to go down there and get it and you know dominate defenders or a Rondell So I mean, I don't know. You can probably look at Shibley probably had 25 carries. I know he probably got over at least 120. So um. I think that at least the the showing, at least the statistic showing how successful Quincy's run game was more of a um, he persevering versus, you know, Will Shibley just breaking off, you know, just had slash of the defense. There were some good runs, but, you know, like I said, he was, it was way more 2025, a war of attrition versus I can tear this SU defense up, you know, day in and day out. Outside of the one drive, like it's the first drive where it was a kind of, it could have gotten ugly.
1: It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. The other issue in this game is the fact that Sean Tucker only had five carries. You kind of mentioned this earlier, right? that Garrett Schrader, you're not the the starting running back. And um, I get that there's, you know, they're doing zone read and Garrett Schrader has to read how teams are defending them. And obviously teams are going to shade towards stopping Sean Tucker first. But at the same time, Sean Tucker only having five carries is inexcusable for Syracuse in any game other than maybe Wagner where he maybe has five carries for 180 yards and three touchdowns, and you say you're done, right? Um, a situation like that, I can see it. But anytime you're playing an FBS-level team, he should have more than five carries every game unless he's hurt. If he's not, and he says he's not, Syracuse says he's not, We that, that he's healthy, we have no reason to believe he's not healthy. I understand there's been discussions about whether there's something lingering with Sean Tucker.
0: Man, you're Look. the people on Syracuse FB on Twitter with. Was- I love to tell me that, and love with, that was one of the biggest retorts. With you know, like I said, me not being the biggest trader friend, I already wanted to limit his carries. I, the you know, we can talk about it now the last part of my article, the four reasons, you know, four ways that they can win the Super the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, the Superhero Ball point was aimed at him. He needed to be able to recognize his place in his office and be more of a distributor with some of the talent, and obviously that didn't work out. But now, like, yeah, everybody was saying that Sean's not one hundred percent, Sean. First of all, you can keep the guy more in carries, more than five carries, if they not have been 100%. And we would love to see that. He had what, 50, 60 yards on five carries? He was over halfway to 100 already. So please, that like you said, Sean Tucker says Sean Tucker's healthy. Syracuse University says Sean Tucker's healthy. If Sean Tucker's not healthy, that is of no reason but issue. So that is not a valid excuse to me.
1: No. And now I, I would understand in certain situations where the zone read, favors Schrader more than Tucker, depending on how teams defend you. But guess what? You also have the option of doing just handing him the ball and not doing zone read. Circus does that. They've done that all season. They didn't in this game. Um, Now there can be some game plan things there and like, you know, things that are above my pay grade, so to speak, but five carries is inexcusable. That should be a discussion between whether he's getting 12 or 20, not whether he's getting five or something more than five. Um, and I get he had five catches, so 10 total touches. 10 total touches is about a third of what he should have every game. He should have 20 to 25, maybe even 30 touches every game. So 10, I guess, would be half of what I would consider to be your minimum adequacy of, of what Sean Tucker touches should be. Now, does Sean Tucker getting 15 carries in this game mean Syracuse definitely wins? I don't know. I mean, I maybe, say yes. maybe. I would say yes. Well, especially that means, that in the second half. More
0: carries for Sean. And I think more importantly, 10 less carries for Gary.
1: But in the second half, the the couple of – other than the last drive when they basically had to throw the ball because of the situation, the few times that they were able to move the ball was – Sean Tucker had a couple of runs where it was like 15 yards and 18 yards or whatever else. And then he just didn't get the ball again. And the offense stalled. So, again, I don't know that it's a – I understand what your opinion is. I don't know that it's, a for me, a direct – If they do this, they definitely win. I think they certainly have a much better chance to. um, But it's clear that what they were doing wasn't working. Now, to the coaching staff's credit, to Dino Baber's credit, he didn't shy away from this in his press conference Monday morning. He specifically said, listen, I agree with all of you. Five carries for Sean Tucker is not excusable. And it's been addressed. And that won't happen again. So kudos to them for, for doing that. Because I know that's been a criticism of him throughout his tenure is that there's a lack of accountability and it's all uh, excuse-making. So I commend him for taking accountability for it. The criticism will be that it shouldn't get to that point, right? That that you're having to make those adjustments when it's Sean Tucker, right? This isn't, it's not like it's, it's LaQuint Allen, no offense to LaQuint Allen, but he doesn't have Sean Tucker's resume. He's not, The best player on your offense um so that was i think a huge factor in this game as was the performance of garrett schrader especially in the second half as you mentioned and that's specifically where i want to go next what was the difference in your opinion between the way garrett schrader played in the first half and the syracuse offense performed versus the way he played in the second half and the syracuse offense performed
0: was it strictly um,
1: Clemson making adjustments and Syracuse not being able to counter it, or was it lack of creativity? Was it Garrett Schrader that part? just not executing? Like, what, what was the, the main thing from what you saw?
0: Um, I mean, Clemson is a top-five team in the country for a reason. I used to – how much I uh, – you saw you heard me talk at length about how badly their defensive line was, so we're going to have to give some credit to those guys. Miles Murphy had a sack. I think he had a second on the first play. that of uh, the first play they got called back by holding. Mm-hmm. But in the second half, I think him and Caden Henry both had a sack. So it was a thing toward off, you know, or attrition in the second half. That talent uh, for them for Clemson really started the show. So that you I mean I even said it in my article there was really no adjustment for that. Cota and Burge were going to have to win, and you know even Kalen and uh, Vitarelli and Bleich Blit- were really going to have to win. And in the second half, they lost more than them. So there's no really adjusting that you can do for that. But one of the biggest things that you talked about. Was the – um and, again, I try to be as fair as I can. And i this has nothing to do with Garrett Schrader. I mean, it can because ultimately the quarterback does have the ability to change the plays. But, hell, if, I, if somebody's calling my number, I'm always going to – you know what I'm saying? I'm a baller. we we basketball players. Somebody call my number. I know Charles Buggley said just because the coach calls the play for you don't mean you're supposed to score. But he called a play for me for a reason. So, I'm going to try to – so, I mean, if, if they're calling 20 Garrett Schrader quarterback keeps in zone reads, I can't be mad at Garrett Schrader. I can be. But – I realistically can't be mad at him for pulling the ball and thinking that, you know, me running is the best way to, to win. I'm mad at Coach Babers and Robert and I and for them putting in the, putting the ball in Gary Schrader's hands 20 times for him to be able to do that. Because, again, a read, read options, zone read, you made a really good point. Gary Schrader has the ability to keep that on every play. And Gary can only look at the read that he's getting on, on the field. He can't take into effect, you know, how many carries that Sean has, how many carries I have. As fast as the Clemson B line is, and the nature of the option game, it is read decision. There's no time for hesitation. So my biggest thing with Babers, and the thing I'll push back on you in terms of giving him kudos, you know, you can't put Garrett in a situation where he has to a constantly be making a decision like that, and you're not force feeding your guy the ball, which is Sean Tucker. So you talked about giving kudos to Coach Babers and you know holding him accountable. I'm not gonna. I, I can't. I can't. I have to push back on that. I can't let that slide. Because that man is paid very handsomely to do his job and, I, and for him to make adjustments like that he was supposed to make in the second half of that game. And again, given the, the opening context, of John Moran's a little bit of basketball. Given the opening context, yeah, a six-point loss to Clemson wouldn't have been bad. But also, I tell you this, we lose a, we lose a game going to the fourth in which we're over 11 points. You're going to feel some type of weight about that, whether it's Clemson or Wagner. I mean, obviously it's going to be worse. But any team when you're up going 11 going into the fourth and you lose, it's a clear meltdown. So I don't, I'm i not giving Babers any strikes for coming in and owning up to a mistake because what other choice did he really have? I mean, I guess he could have ducked and dodged. And apparently, speaking of other colleagues, he had before. But you don't get no strike from me for admitting you made a mistake. You talk about Papa Crawford. You know, he was always somebody that, like, you know, me, we have a good relationship. So he was always able to tell me, like, I don't care about what you do. I'll always be able to come to me. But, and he always made that clear just because you come to me, there's no, that doesn't mean there's no punishment. You don't get, you don't always get rewarded for doing the right thing. And I'm not going to reward Babers for owning up to a horrible offense and a horrible um, lack of adjustment. It's good that I guess he owned it and he uh, made, he, that he's aware of it. But where was your awareness 72 hours ago when you you put the ball in your quarterback's hand 20 times? So, Again, I had to push back on the, you know, giving kudos of, you know, him being responsible accountable to it because A, he's handsome he's more than handsomely paid enough to take any straight that he gets on Twitter or from media members. And B, this is not a situation where we can go, we can go down the road or we can get Clemson again, or we can, there's a way to really realistically work in the ACC championship game. That was the shot. You went as, you know, what did the denouncer for the USC Utah game? You when well, you came with a big dog, you can't miss. And you know, shout out to the wire. And we missed. And we, we had them dead in our sights, and that's the biggest problem, and we just simply missed.
1: So um, Clemson's going to lose to Louisville and Miami, and Syracuse is going to win the ACC Atlantic. No, I'm just I'm messing with you. Obviously. Obviously. So I guess I should qualify my point in giving him credit. I give him credit for opening up the press conference and saying, listen, we made a mistake. We're addressing it. We're fixing it. Because – I feel like there's a lot of coaches and there's some that aren't like this, but a lot of coaches who are just very coach speak. We're never going to admit that we made a mistake and it's very just, we're on to the next game. We make adjustments all the time. There's a lot of things you don't know. And that type of stuff that you hear a lot. I don't often hear coaches come up with a press conference and say, guys, y'all are right. We made a mistake. This isn't inexcusable, etc." Now that doesn't excuse the fact that it happened in the first place. I just appreciate the upfrontness and the honesty. Now here's here's where I'm qualifying it. it. To me, if the rest of the season is no longer an issue, Sean Tucker becomes a feature part of the offense again. He's getting 15 to 20 carries every single game, um, et cetera. Then to me, not only did he say he was going to fix it, but it got fixed. If you say it and then it's an issue again, any quote-unquote kudos – for me for being upfront about it, accepting responsibility, saying, addressing it, because he wasn't asked about it. He he started his press conference that way. Then all that goes out the window because then it was just saying things and it's lip service and it doesn't actually mean anything. If it turns into something tangible, then um, I'm more willing to to keep that credit. But the other part of this game that I think is important to talk about, they got a lot of... And you're absolutely right about being paid a lot of money to deal with people on Twitter. Um, But if you have to deal with people on Twitter like I do every single day, I think we should all be paid more uh, personally for having to deal with that because it has Clemson fans. I'm just going to say this before we get into this, because I have to. Good Lord, people. Like, here's the thing y'all need to know about me. Any Clemson fans that are listening. I hate officials. I hate them a lot. Main, the main reason I hate it is because it is perfectly acceptable to rip, ridicule, publicly ostracize an 18 to 22-year-old kid playing a sport than it is a grown man routinely missing calls, a grown adult man who is terrible at his job regularly to the point. And if a coach criticizes that person for doing a terrible job, they get monetarily punished. They get fined. If someone makes a, if an official makes a bad call on the last play of a game that changes the winner of the game, everyone sees it, they get it wrong. It's not reviewable. The end result is nothing. If the coach says we lost because of a bad call, they get fined, even though they're right. And that official is doing a game the very next weekend and probably a very big game, same caliber of game that they were the week before nothing happens. They get paid the same. They get a new, a new game. They get paid for that game. There's zero accountability. So that's why I have issues with officials. But Clemson fans, when I'm pointing out what I viewed as inconsistencies between the way that the late hit was called for Clems- against Syracuse for Clemson as opposed to a non-call against Clemson for Syracuse, I pointed out what I viewed as an inconsistent way of um calling that, uh, interpreting officiating that the rule. officiating that rule. Good good way of stating it. Um, then I get, oh, your tears are so sweet. We killed you. Um, you're just making excuses for for sucking and all this stuff. I I have a few things to say about that. One, I didn't play, so you didn't beat me. You didn't beat <laughs> me at all. I, I didn't play at all. Um, if I had, you would have won by a lot more. I, I'm not, I, I have no, I just don't belong on the same field as any of them standing near them with a cell phone, let alone trying to play, okay? Um, that's first of all. Second of all, um, I am not blaming that on the reason that Syracuse lost. I am pointing out that officiate. period. You'll notice in none of my tweets where I'm critical of officials, do I say this is why Syracuse lost in none of them? Okay. Number three, um, you won by six. You were trailing by 11 going into the fourth quarter. You won the game. You dominated the fourth quarter. You did not destroy Syracuse and kick their, you know what you won. You didn't beat the crap out of them. As I've been told many times that said, let's get to those calls. First thing we need to say way too many penalties on Syracuse way too many undisciplined ones. Um, The late hit on Elijah Fuentes aside, there was a play by Marlo wax where he scraped across the face mask of, of club Nick inexcusable, dumb penalty. Um, There were holding calls. There were false starts. There were undisciplined things that you can't do in a game like that. Right? Syracuse had 10 penalties in the game. They probably needed about six to feel comfortable and win the game. So that continues to be an area that plagues Syracuse. That's something they have to fix. When When you're going against Notre Dame, you can't have a game where you have multiple penalties impact your ability to keep drives going and Notre Dame's ability to sustain drives. That's where the penalties kill you. And Syracuse did both of those, hurt their own drives, and kept Clemson drives going. Multiple times,
0: at that, critical times too. At I mean, like critical I said, times. The first half was very much like a clean game. Very didn't clean. Have, did it have what six or seven penalties in either the second half or in the fourth quarter alone? Like that, like Elijah Fuentes, like literally, we talk about basketball, like seven point swing right there. Marlow, yep. 50 yards on the third down. Like these are penalties that are happening at the worst possible time.
1: Yes, yes, and um, the one on Fuentes. Uh, Clemson would have had a fourth and 15, they would have had to punt. And they were still down by 11 at that point. They turned that drive into a touchdown to make it 21 16. And they had all the momentum because they didn't think Syracuse was going to score. Up to that point, Clemson didn't think it was going to score. So it's really a
0: 14 point swing, honestly. You talk about if you, putting it like that. Yeah. Because Clemson gets a touchdown they don't expect. And then you talk about uh, trying to potentially put insurance runs on the board against Clemson, which is crazy. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually two a two touchdown penalty for Mr. 99, right? Yes.
1: Now. And they had, I believe, two penalties, two holding calls um, in the fourth quarter that took first downs off the board and forced them into three and outs instead of moving the ball, running the clock, getting into Clemson territory, etc. They also had a situation where they had a turnover, had the ball in midfield and did nothing with it, couldn't even get a field goal out of it. Didn't score in the second half, inexcusable. Now... Let's get quickly to the late hit call on Elijah Fuentes and the non-call on Garrett Schrader. On the Elijah Fuentes one, again, this was a third and 25. Klubnik scrambled. He was about 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. He was running up the sideline. And right as he was crossing out of bounds, Fuentes makes contact with him, knocks him into the the, um, further out of bounds. They throw a flag. When you watch the replay, you'll notice a Clemson offensive lineman actually pushes him in the back into Klubnik to create the contact. Whether or not Fuente still would have contacted him, I don't know. But the fact that he was aided by the Clemson offensive lineman, to me, means it probably should not have been called. That's number one. Um, number two, it's a block in the back. Pushed him right in the middle of the back. So that's, that's two parts of that that they got wrong. But even if they say, listen, we're protecting the quarterback. He got hit out of bounds. I don't care how it happened. You throw the flag. Okay. Well, then a couple possessions later, Garrett Schrader is scrambling on a third down play, tries to throw the ball away. He does throw the ball away. And he gets hit by a Clemson player about a yard or so in bounds. The Clemson player drives him out of bounds. And then as they cross the boundary, then finishes it with a shove to knock him to the ground. It's that last shove that should have been called the late hit. Contact started inbounds, it ended out of bounds, and there was extracurricular after it got out of bounds. So that should have been a late hit, was not called. The one against Fuentes, if you say it should be called, I don't care if he got pushed into him because it's protecting the quarterback. It is. I might disagree with you. But I'd like to get your perspective as a former player on both of those situations how they went down and if you agreed with how they were called
0: i'll lean into this my former player you know perspective and you know seeing the shot clock coming down you know all those guys know an issue um regardless of you know the ticky tag nature of the the whistle which you know like i said now that i'm on this side i can definitely say with confidence yeah probably would not call fairly but i think we did great we, we discussed on this podcast how often a fair couple of town, the price of that even when it does come um that team knew that, and for guys know that if you really want to win, you cannot be determined a place that win in the hands of the officials because you're losing all control of it. So if you really wanted to win, a lot knows how critical it is, how much they're protecting quarterbacks. You can't, you can't even let your body be in a position to where something like that could potentially happen. When you practice it at PB, stopping, how can you stop pursuing the quarterback? How could get you, get you, get you, you get your hands up instead of continue to pursue the quarterback? Being able to—that's you know, that's the thing you talk about. What separates guys from going D one, what what makes a good athlete a good athlete? Being able to control your body at all times, and this is—you know—that's is getting more and more important. So those guys, Logamente, Marlowe, those guys that committed those penalties, they knew that even with the ticky-tack nature of the calls, they knew that a they were in, they were on the road, so they were going to get they were they were the calls that were going to be close were going to go against them. And they knew better to even put themselves and you know their body in that situation to where it could be um, it could be interpreted as a, a penalty because they know you know if you're putting the game in the referee's hands you expect to lose. So, I I could debate about the the egregiousness of the cause and you know we don't got the time for that. But at the end of the day, those guys knew they they that those were um, killer penalties and they still committed them. So they in my eyes. They didn't have the discipline to win, and that's sad because it's a really disciplined
1: team. Officials still suck. Okay, um, on to the next part of our discussion, um, which is real quick, we'll end it on this, is the mental approach to a devastating loss like this, not letting one loss turn into two, right? Because it's really easy to let this impact your preparation and approach for the next game. And Syracuse has another name-brand opponent coming in a blue-blood This coming Saturday in Notre Dame. So as a former player, when you have a devastating loss like this, a game you felt like you let slip away, the the other team didn't beat you, you beat yourself. How do you turn around, refocus and prepare for the next game without letting that loss impact how you do that?
0: Again, you know, the leadership within the locker room and the program is really important. So you're going to have to have guys like Kale, guys like Garrett. Would you love to see him on the sideline being really in tune in the game despite him not getting the game, which I think I – pre- I, I predict him getting the game even though he didn't. You know, the leadership at the top is going to be very critical in, like, just determining the the overall mood of this team. But then after that, it's um, – like you talked about the name brand. You're not facing a Wagner. You're not coming off a, a another trap game. You know, this is a, a situation where you may be taking Notre Dame more seriously based on the brand than the quality of football they played this year may dictate it. And we talked about how up and down they've been, at least off camera. And, um, you know, this is a team – this is one of the marquee games that you expect to come into the year. So, in terms of – from my perspective, you know, the leadership, you know, every, obviously every it's grown men out there, young men out there, but the leadership is going to be important at the top from either in, in the locker room with Kel and Garrett and other guys in the mob and Babers. And them making sure that this team responded the proper way, but after that, you know, just is is you know going one and zero. Last week you went zero one, so you just had that much more more motivation to go one and zero. And Notre Dame is a great team to go one and zero against, regardless of what their record is or what they look like.
1: Yeah, beating Notre Dame always gives you some sort of national notoriety, um, cachet, et cetera. You know, if you're sitting at seven and one with a win over Notre Dame. Again, I don't care where Notre Dame is ranked or what they are. Most people are going to go, oh, okay, that's pretty impressive. So I think this year's team with the veteran leadership they have and with – they've been preaching this go one and no each week from the beginning of training camp. So it's not like they all of a sudden have to change their approach because that's been the approach all along. So just sticking to that – And how close the team is, how much they believe in themselves, the coaching staff, what this team can be. I think, like you said, all of that, the leadership in the locker room is what's going to make a difference. And I think we're going to see if all of that culture that they're talking about is just talk or they bounce back and play a heck of a game on Saturday. You'll know that this was all legit right? That none of that was just talk. So that is a big thing to watch for. Rubber meat road, rubber meat road, hundred percent for Josh Crawford. I'm Mike McAllister. That'll do it for episode 54 of the believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Hoffman sausage company and bet online. And we'll see you next time.